Well, for about 15 seasons or so, A&E, the cable station, has run a program called Intervention. Every episode of Intervention follows a very similar pattern. It, it starts off with you getting to know an addict. The, the addict might be addicted to drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be gambling. I mean, it could be any number of things. But over the course of the show, you begin to get to know just how deep their addiction really is. And you find it through interviews with them, interviews with their family, as well as footage of the person. And the way they get all of this footage of the person is they have the addict agree to be in a documentary, which isn't a complete lie because it is a documentary-type show. But what they don't know is that behind the scenes, their family is actually uh, preparing for an intervention. That's always the most tense part of the show. It, you come to this point where the, the family has been working with a professional interventionist, some counselor, who's telling them, here's what it's going to take to help them. And it means you're going to have to make some really tough decisions and hold firm on some things and guides them in how to write letters that basically say, we love you and we're pleading with you to stop your addiction. And, and then there's this moment where the addict believes they're coming for their final interview for this documentary and they open the door and there's their family. And there's always this moment where you don't know, are they going to close the door, bolt and run? Or are they going to actually walk in and sit down and listen to their family plead with them to stop killing themselves? I think that sometimes we need an intervention. I think sometimes God looks at us and sees us addicted to the things of this world. And because he loves us, he's going to have an intervention. Because we allow ourselves to get addicted to our jobs, or to our possessions, or to our entertainment, or to our incomes, or, or to our substances, or, or any host of things. And, and often, some of these things are very good things. But we make these good things ultimate things, and that's a very bad thing. A very, very bad thing. And so because God loves us, he intervenes. Now, in the TV show, when there's an intervention, you'll see anger, you'll see denial, you often see tears. And I think the same can happen when God intervenes in our lives. Sometimes there's denial. I'm actually doing better than I, I you know, I'm doing fine. Sometimes there's anger. I don't want to give this up. Sometimes there's tears because it's just downright hard and embarrassing to be confronted with our sin. But sometimes it's exactly what we need. But the question is, how do you respond? Are you going to close the door and bolt and run? Or are you going to come in and sit down and listen to your heavenly father? In this series, Interrupted, we've been going through the book of Jonah. And we saw in our first week, God give a big interruption to Jonah. He said, I want you to leave Israel and go 500 miles northeast inland to Nineveh. Instead, Jonah runs. He runs from God. He hops on a ship and starts heading west across the sea towards some town called Tarshish. And so God has to bring an intervention it comes through a storm. It comes through a fish. He gets a hold of Jonah's attention. And last week, we ended with Jonah sitting inside the belly of a whale or some large fish. And there's a little bit of wondering. 
how is he going to respond now? Because God has just interrupted his life again. He's given him a big spiritual inter- intervention. He's grabbed a hold of Jonah. Now, Jonah can't continue to run. I mean, he's kind of stuck inside a fish. But he could run in his heart. He could continue to shake his fist at God and say, how dare you? Or he can actually surrender. Today, we are going to see Jonah stop running from God and run to God. And the way he runs to God is in prayer. What we're going to see is what we need to do to respond to the interventions that God gives us. And we're going to see how to pray and how the prayer will actually help us to allow God's deep work in us so that his great work can also be doing through us. So because today is going to be all about prayer, let me pray. Well, Father, we now come to your scriptures. We ask that you be our teacher today. And I pray for anyone here today that needs an intervention. They they are running towards their own Tarshish. They are addicted to things of this life and this earth. And it is harming and hurting their relationship with you. And because you love them deeply and dearly, today you want to confront them, you want to challenge them, and you want to encourage them to follow you. You're calling them back to you. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would open hearts and ears to hear what you want to say. May those words be on my lips, but may you go beyond my words, and may your words be what we hear. So, Father, right now, we just ask that you do in us what you need to do, what you want to do. In Jesus' name, we ask for this. Amen. All right, so if you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, go ahead and open it up. Uh, For those of you who already own like 12 Bibles, but haven't forget to bring one, you haven't downloaded a Bible app to your phone yet, and you don't have the Bible memorized, I actually have the scripture on the screen for you. Um, Last week, as I said, we finished chapter one. We saw Jonah get swallowed by a whale. Uh, If you missed last week, we actually addressed that idea. There are some people that really struggle with this idea, like this is a fictional story, they think. And so I addressed that last week. And so if you believe this is a fictional story, I encourage you, go back on our website, listen to last week's message where I addressed that. But I just want you to know, we're moving forward with the story, believing that, yes, Jonah really did get swallowed by a fish. And so right now, as we're coming to chapter two, he is sitting inside the dark of a fish or a whale belly. It's probably soaking wet. I can't imagine the air is very fresh in there. It probably reeks to high heaven. It would be miserable. And yet, this is what Jonah says. Chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Well, then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry 
land. In that TV show, Intervention, uh, every once in a while, you'll see an addict walk into a room or, or even bolt and run, and, and they reject the help. Usually when they're sitting down for the intervention, there's a professional interventionist, a counselor who's there, and they have everything set up. A treatment center is ready to accept them. There's a car waiting outside. They're ready to go. And yet the person, every once in a while, will reject the help. Now, as you watch the TV show, you do not sit there, watch the addict reject it, and think, yes, way to go. Show them who's boss. You make your own decisions. You do whatever makes you happy. No, you watch them reject the help and you just start shaking your head going, what are they doing? Because if they continue on the path they're on, they're going to kill themselves or they're going to ruin all their relationships. I mean, this is not going to go well for them at all. I think sometimes God looks at us and sees us run from him and he just shakes his head because here's this perfect holy God who's given his son to die on the cross. Even though he'd never sinned, he dies a sinner's death. He pays our penalty for us. He's inviting us into this relationship with him. And yet we exchange it for spend a few more hours at work to to run to our refrigerator, to open yet another six pack. We reject it to go after these other things. I think he just sits there and shakes his head. It is foolish to reject the love and offer of God. And so if we shouldn't bolt from his intervention, what does it look like for us to actually enter into his room to sit down and accept what he has to say to us? I think the way we can run to him is to run in prayer. And actually Jonah messes up a lot in his story, but this part he gets right. So today, we're going to look at Jonah's prayer and see how it can actually guide us into praying to God and surrender to his intervention. And we're going to see four things from his prayer. And so, trying to be a cute pastor, I put those four things into an acronym, or an acrostic, I should say, P-R-A-Y. Now, I can't guarantee they're very memorable, but just go with me. Hopefully, this will work, all right? So, we're going to learn how to pray, P-R-A-Y. The P today is pain admittance. Pain admittance. Often when it comes to prayer, I think we sometimes feel like we have to have like really amazing words. We have to say things in a really flowery way. Maybe it's because we grew up in a church where the pastor would just boom these really big prayers and it would just, we'd sit back and go, wow, I could never do that. And so we sometimes get this false idea of what prayer is. But I believe that prayer is just being honest with God. It's just talking to him. Because if you look at what Jonah prays, you'll see his honesty. You'll see there in verse 2, he talks about his distress. When he got thrown into the ocean, it caused him distress. Uh, You see in verse 3, he talks about being cast into the deep and the flood surrounding him. In verse 4, you see he talks about being driven away from God. Verse 5, he talks about how the waters closed in over him and weeds were wrapped around his head. Like a, he's, he's given this imagery of being drowned. He's being dragged underneath the water. He even talks about bars being brought over him to close upon him forever. He thinks he's going to die. This was not comfortable. When he was thrown into the ocean, he's not going, yes, this is fun. This is just like the log ride at Adventureland. You know? No, he's thinking, this is it. I'm dead. I'm, I'm done for. He's in distress. He's in pain. When I read his prayer, it sounds a lot like some of the Psalms. 
If you ever go into the Psalms, you'll see some that are just beautiful. They're, they're amazing. Just this incredible poetry. But there's some of these Psalms that you read, and they are just raw. They are just gut-wrenching honest. Uh, whether it be King David or, or one of the other psalmists, there are several people who wrote some of these psalms. You just see grittiness to it. In fact, you get psalms like this. Uh, David wrote in Psalm uh, 6, verses 6 and 7, he says, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Or another writer in Psalm 42.3 says, My tears have been my food day and night. If these guys do not sound depressed, if they do not sound distressed to you, I, I don't know what would. These guys are hurting, and they are just opening up to God. In some of the Psalms, you even see them saying, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing this? They're just being honest. They're admitting the pain so I want to give you permission to be honest with God. In fact, if you ever find yourself in a difficult spot spiritually, maybe you're in one right now, I would encourage you, go to the Psalms. Because sometimes as you read them, you realize that what you're going through right now is not unique. That this is actually part of the human condition. It's a result of sin that is in the world. And you can see these guys wrestling with this. And so by reading it, it actually encourages you to know you're not alone. But also, I encourage you to go to the Psalms, because even the Psalms, where they're raw and honest, they're much like Jonah, in that they do the next thing, the letter R. They return to the pain giver. They return to the pain giver. Notice verse 3 of Jonah's prayer. He says, For you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Now, if you go back to chapter 1, who was it that actually cast Jonah into the sea? It was the sailors, right? They didn't want to. They were doing everything they could not to. But Jonah's saying, uh, guys, this storm, it, it's from God. And if you don't throw me over sea, he's going to destroy the ship. And they're like, oh, no, we'll throw more stuff overboard, or we'll just row harder. And eventually, they, they can't. And so they give up, and they make him walk the plank. They, they toss him overboard, and as soon as they did, the waters uh, stilled, the storm stopped, and it was done. But yet, here's Jonah inside of this fish, and he says, for you cast me into the seas. But there's no sailors in there. It's just Jonah and a bunch of other, you know, seaweed and whatever else is in there. He's talking to God. He does not blame the sailors for throwing him in. He blames God. And he also doesn't just blame the storm. He says, all oh, your waves and your billows. He attributes all of this to God. God is the one who threw him in the water. God is the one who made him close to drown. God is the one who brought the pain. As I read that, it reminded me of something in Hosea. Uh, Hosea was a, a contemporary of Jonah, and he writes on behalf of the people as if he's talking for the people to God. And this is in chapter 6 of his uh, 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 book. Verse 1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. Do you hear it? God is the one who's tearing them apart. God is the one who is striking them down. This is not comfortable to hear. 
we don't like to think about this. I mean, who wants to follow a God who would treat his followers like this? In fact, I grew up in a church that rejected any sort of teaching like that. If we serve a loving God, this loving God who's perfectly good would never hurt his followers. Would never. And so they would reject any idea that God may actually be bringing and inflicting something difficult upon you. Now, my four-year-old selfish little self would have liked my parents to apply that theology into their parenting because I didn't like it when they spanked me. I didn't prefer when they would, you know, not let me eat whatever I wanted or, or made me share with my brother or I got in trouble. I had to be put in time out when I'd punch my brother in the face. Well, they seemed to bring me a lot of pain. But they did it for a purpose. All of you were probably thankful that my parents disciplined me. Otherwise, I might be a terror upon society. But we saw last week in Hebrews 12 that if imperfect even the wonderful parents like mine can discipline us, how much more will your perfect heavenly father discipline you to work something good in your life? Because if you're going a direction that is not good, how is it not love? I mean, how is it love to say, fine, whatever you want? That's not. It means bringing in discipline and sometimes even bringing something difficult and something that's painful. That's why you can return to the pain giver. Because the pain giver is not inflicting upon you out of some sixth sense. He's actually inflicting it upon you for your good. It's out of his love for you. Because he needs you. He wants you to be out there in that world being a blessing to them. But if you're addicted to self, if you're doing something else where you're not allowing the image of Christ to be molded and shaped within you, he's not going to use you. So he's going to discipline you. He's going to bring an intervention. And that's why you can return to the pain giver. But not only can you admit the pain and return to the pain giver, as you return to the pain giver, you then get to A. You allow for movement. You allow for movement. If you notice, Jonah was supposed to go 500 miles east to Nineveh. Instead, and we don't know how far he was, but let's just for pretend, say he's 500 miles west in the Mediterranean. Suddenly, this fish comes along, swallows Jonah, turns him into fish food, and then is bringing him along somewhere else. And you notice verse 10 of Jonah, uh, Jonah's prayer. He says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out. And it doesn't just say back into the sea. It doesn't say that he pooped him out onto some deserted island. It says that he vomited him up upon dry land. And as we're going to see next week, he put him in a place where he could now follow through and do exactly what God had originally called him to. There was movement. In the show intervention, uh, as the addict is doing their interviews and allowing the cameras to follow them around throughout life, You'll also see these interviews, and then you'll see some conversations with the professional interventionist. And you realize there's all this stuff going on behind the scenes. They're securing a location at a treatment facility. They're aligning things up for them. There's all this movement behind the scenes. But, but then when the addict comes in and actually sits down and listens to the family plead with them to get help, if they say yes, they are immediately hugged and taken. They get right into some SUV and off they go. 
and they drive to some treatment center or they get on a plane and fly to some place. They, they you know, use treatment centers all over the U.S. and they move them. And then oftentimes, if the person will stick through the treatment, they'll interview them 60, 90 days later. And you sit there and you'll watch and you'll see this person and they just look incredibly different. They, they look healthier. They look happier. Like there's actually like life in their eyes. There has been movement even within them. God is moving. And when he intervenes, he's actually been working behind the scenes. He's been getting things ready. For Jonah, he brought the fish along. I mean, there he is bobbing up and down in the middle of the Mediterranean. And there just happens to be this big fish that God prepared. God had been working behind the scenes. But then the fish didn't just swallow him up and head back home. No, God has the fish continue to move to get him to where he needs to be. When God intervenes in your life, he's working. He's been working behind the scenes, but now he's working in such a way to begin to move you to where he wants you to be so that he can begin to do that deep work in you so he can also then do a great work through you. Because his goal is to mold you into the image of Jesus so that you will love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. So as you pray to God, Please be honest, admit the pain, and then return to the pain giver. Because by doing so, you're saying, God, I give you permission to move me. Do in me what you need to do, what you want to do, because I trust you. You created life. You created humanity. I think you know how it should best be lived. And I was not doing it the best way. I was headed toward Tarshish. I was going my own route. You loved me enough to interrupt me. And so this is painful. This is hard. But God, I surrender. Move me, do in me what you need to do because I trust you. That then brings us to the last part, letter Y, and that is to yield praise. I don't know if you've ever gone through a tough place spiritually. Chances are you have if you've been following Jesus for more than about three or four days. You'll hit some tough spots. And it almost feels like you're put into some sort of spiritual darkness. It's like you're put into the belly of some whale. And, and it just feels stifling. You don't know how you're going to get out. And it is in those moments that it is incredibly difficult to praise God. It, you find it hard to worship him, to even talk to him. I've gone through periods where I, I didn't want to listen to music. I, I didn't want to read my Bible. I, I found it difficult to talk to him because I didn't know if I could trust him. And yet it is in the dark that we need to give our praise the most. Because it's as we praise him that we begin to develop this sense of trust and actually a sense of joy. Notice what Jonah finishes his prayer with. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. I don't know about you, but sitting inside the belly of a whale doesn't exactly sound and feel like salvation. But when Jonah realized, I was going to drown— my sin was so great, I disobeyed the holy God who clearly loves these Ninevites, wants me to go and preach against them, and yet I run the opposite way, and rather than let me drown and die for my sin, he brings along a fish. And while this is uncomfortable, this isn't fun, he saved me. And he offers up praise to God even in the midst of the darkness. This is why James, the brother of Jesus, when he wrote his letter to a bunch of Jewish Christians who were scattered all over uh, or the region, he wanted this letter to travel about. And he was trying to encourage them. And so he starts off his letter by saying, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, 
I don't believe he is saying, hey, when, when the doctor says it's cancer, when one of your kids just rebels horribly against you, when you go through that difficult moment, when you feel the interruption, I don't think you sit there and go, yes, oh, this is great. No, I don't think he's saying foolishly, just I'll be happy. No, but you can have joy because you know this is not the end of the story because we get this eternal life with Christ. And so this is not the end. And so even if this were to end in death, a great glorious heaven awaits us. But God isn't even going to wait till then. He even begins to work now. And so you can actually have joy that God will work something out and bring something through you. So you can yield your praise to God. It's hard, but it's necessary. It's part of your transformation inside into that image of Jesus, who, when he's in the very garden of Gethsemane, and it seems like the whole world is caving in upon him, he's sweating blood, he knows the cross awaits him, and he's even asking God, take this from me, because it's so painful. And yet he says, not my will be done, but yours. He surrenders. He allows for movement. He yields praise to God, even in the darkest of moments. So when you feel a spiritual intervention coming, I encourage you, run to God. Run to him in prayer. Start off, admit the pain, but then return to the pain giver. And as you do, allow for him to move in your life and to work to get you to the place he wants you to be. And you can trust that he will do that, and that will help you to yield praise, even in the midst of the intervention. My, one of my best friends uh, is a guy by the name of Leo. Uh, Leo's from the state of Michigan, and he actually, he and his family just moved to Washington State. And so on their way, they actually came through Waverly, stayed with our family for about four days, and, and actually came and worshiped with us here at Riverwood just a few weeks ago. And they're now in, in Washington State. But many, many years ago, we met in Venezuela. Uh, Leo and his wife, Michelle, had uh, Gregory as a three-year-old uh, and then a daughter, uh, Bethany. She was born just a month after Karis. Uh, and in fact, Karis and Bethany are, are best friends to this day. Bethany's going to be in Karis's wedding. Uh, and so our families are just really, really close. And so we've stayed in touch throughout the years. We've vacationed together. We've gone and visited each other multiple times. And I remember when I was uh, working as a, a worship pastor at the small little church plant in Colorado, Denver, Colorado, things were not going well. And I ended up on the phone with Leo talking to him, and I, I just began pouring out my heart. And he begins to share how he'd been reading this book. And this particular book had been shaping and affecting his prayers. And as Leo began to share this prayer with me, I suddenly had this sense, this urge to write it down. Now, you've got to understand— I don't write things down. I probably should. My wife is amazing. Like, she could listen to, the, like, this message here, and she would take our handouts. She would have the, the whole page filled, the back filled, the front cover. I mean, she will use, you know, she'll take three pages of, mess, you know, notes just on one 30-minute message. I mean, she's amazing. And me, I might write one sentence, you know? So when Leo started sharing this prayer, and I had to have the sudden urge to write it down, something was going on. And I just grabbed a scrap of piece of paper, and I began to write down the prayer. And the prayer was this. Lord, take me apart and remake me. I don't care what it costs. I just want to be like you. And Leo even said that sometimes when he prays that, he, he would pray, and God, please answer this prayer even if I don't know what I'm asking for. Now, I, a couple years later, 
was doing great. We'd moved away from Denver, Colorado, and the difficulty of the church plant into uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I was a staff at a great church. I'm, I'm in a new role. I'm doing wonderfully. And so I call Leo. And Leo was not doing well. Uh, Leo, and I won't go into all of his story, but th- there were some difficulties growing up. And as he entered into adulthood, he began to find some unhealthy ways to cope with it. And it was affecting his marriage. It was affecting his parenting. It was affecting just his, he worked at a a local business, was in seminary. It was affecting everything. And suddenly on the phone, Leo begins to share with me, like, Aaron, I don't even know why I'm telling you all this stuff. I'm in such a dark place. I don't even feel like I can trust you. I don't feel like I can trust my wife. And worst of all, I don't feel like I can trust God. And I I just couldn't believe these words that are coming out of Leo's mouth. I I didn't know what to say. And so finally I just said, can I pray? Now you got to understand the nature of our relationship. Usually it's Leo saying, let's pray. God has given Leo a spiritual gift of intercession. When Leo prays, you almost feel like you've just been ushered into the presence of God. And so when I said, let's pray, and I heard Leo say, fine, you can pray. I'm not going to. You knew he was in a really bad place. So I began to pray on the phone, sitting in the dark of my living room, and I bumbled something out. I didn't know what to say. So I finally just stopped, and there was just the silence. And all of a sudden, Leo began to pray. And as he began to pray, all of a sudden, we both, just from the Holy Spirit, knew what was happening suddenly we realized God had been answering his prayer. That God was taking him apart and remaking him. And if Leo had known what it was going to cost, I don't know if he'd have prayed that before. And that's why it was so critical for him to say to God, and please answer this prayer, even if I don't know what I'm asking. And it was in that moment that Leo realized he could return to the pain giver because God was at work, God was moving, and God was going to use him. Sure enough, Leo went on to become a pastor, pastored a church in Michigan for several years, and has now accepted a call to be a pastor of a church out in Washington State so that he can help people find and follow Jesus. It was painful. It was hard. And yet God was at work. That's why today I want to encourage you. Don't pretend with God. Just be open and honest, gut-wrenching if you need to. But if there's something going on in your life and you've been running— Stop. It'll be hard. But he loves you. He doesn't want that for you. So stop and come back to the pain giver. Let him discipline you and do something deep within you because he wants to use you in your marriage, in your family, with your neighbors, with your co-workers, with Riverwood. He's got a plan for you. That's why he loves you enough to intervene. So right now, what we want to do is we just want to sit on his couch. We want him to just pour over us and say how much he loves us. And he wants to remind us that he paid it all. Jesus went to the cross. Our sin is done. So we can stop our running. So that's why today I want you to run to him in prayer. As we sing, may it be your prayer. As we take communion, may it be your prayer. And as you pray, go ahead. God, this hurts. This is hard. I don't know if I can do this. But with you, I can. 
So I return to you. I come back to you. I fall on my knees and I surrender. God, would you move me? Would you take me apart and remake me? I don't care what it costs. I just want to be like Jesus. And if you're brave enough, would you even say, God, would you answer this prayer even if I don't know what I'm asking? And you will see God do over the next weeks and months and years something remarkable in your life. But it starts now. So Father, I just pray right now as we go into this time of of worship and prayer and uh, taking of the elements, you would do something deep in us. I just pray for anyone who right now has been running. That today's their day of surrender. That today is their intervention. And they're willing to sit down and listen to you say how much you love them. You loved them so much that you went and died their death so that their sin could be forgiven and they could come back into the presence of a perfect, holy God. Jesus, thank you for going and paying it all for us. As we take of the bread, as we we take of the cup, we do this in remembrance of you. We do this as worship. We do this to say thank you. God, would you move right now? But I also ask that you don't just move for these next several minutes, that you would move in our life day in, day out, bringing us to the place you want us to be. Because I believe you want to do something great through us. But before you do, you want to do something great in us. And so God, that's why we surrender now. Do in us what you need to do, what you want to do. Because we trust you, our Heavenly Father. So Lord, we do this now. Because we want you. We need you.